Look, when you're someone that's plugged into the culture of what people care about that you're covering, you have a different outlook, you have a different perspective, and you know what the audience wants. When you're being told by someone, we need to look at Google Analytics of the top technology headlines and then do that, it's already too late. The news and the action has already happened. When it's like, let's look at data. The data is already old. You gotta know this stuff. People in media, there's instinctual stuff. There's things you feel, there's things you know because you're plugged in. Data is important, but data can't drive when you're in a content creation business, you've got to know already before the data hits what is going to hit and what's going to land. All right, welcome back to the podcast, y'all. This is called the Rel and Friends podcast, and it is the podcast where we empower creative professionals like yourself. What, this is what, episode six, seven, five, one of those, but I'm excited because I got my homie Brian Tong here today. The Rel and Friends podcast has been so exciting just to see like the homies that are just down to hop on camera and really be transparent about their work. BT does not hold back. Oh, I call him BT, by the way. His name is Brian Tong, but everyone that knows him calls him BT or Asian Usher. That's right. We got an interview with Asian Usher. Welcome to the Rel and Friends podcast. All right, before we hop into the interview with the man, Brian Tong, I got to let you guys know, I don't know if you know this, but Christmas is exactly a week away. And I'm happy to say that I've done a lot of shopping, but I'm also not happy to say that it's been all for me. And I have done no holiday shopping for anyone else. So I need your help. Hit me up, hit up the voicemail. Let me know what's something easy, like something I can make. You know, is there anything I can like, just throw something together, you know? And then, you know, the person getting me like, oh, so sweet, you know? I want one of those ideas because I need to save some more money for myself. Kidding. My kids stay fitted, so I'm just kidding about that. My wife, on the other hand, she can get the ball. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My, I spoil my entire family, okay? And that is also a problem. But I would love to make something, make something special. Throw your ideas out at us. We still don't have a voicemail jingle, so I'm going to have to read this to you. It is 646-926-3885. You see how boring that is? And you're probably not even going to remember, unless you rewind this three times, if you want to leave a voicemail. We need a jingle, okay? I know we got a lot of beat makers out there. I'm going to start calling people personally. I'm going to start texting them and saying, I need a jingle for the show. I probably already reached out to people and they haven't gotten me back to me. We need to get on that. Let me start throwing some paper at you. Maybe that'll get the ball rolling. Need some holiday paper. I got you. All right, but hit us up, okay? Yeah. But let's get into some current creator news. I just saw that Canva added music to their platform. So you can add music to your projects, which is cool. I do like that. I am not a fan of stock music. I have a love-hate relationship with stock music. I use it a lot. 
I use epidemic sound for the more like YouTuber sounding kind of stuff. And then I use music bed for more cinematic backgrounds or whatever. I use both for both. Okay. It's just more to source from, but what I hate about sourced music is that I always hear it on other people's stuff too. And that annoys me. So I'm working on building my own music library. And it also sucks when someone else uses the same beat that I used it's kind of lame the way he used it. I don't, I don't want to talk about anybody, but like, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know what I'm talking about. So Canva has added music. I hope they have a good selection here. Canva says that the songs include your favorite chart toppers and golden oldies. See, that's how they want to announce it. Your favorite chart toppers and golden oldies. It already sounds lame. Let me stop being so negative. I don't use Canva, so I shouldn't even be talking to Schmirak, but if you use Canva regularly, do you like this edition? Do you like the music? I'm guessing by that phrase right there, chart-topping oldies, that means it's probably like real songs. So I guess that's cool. If you want to, you know, make a presentation and then have some dead prez bigger than hip-hop behind it, then that's cool. That works. But again, I want to get the conversation rolling about using stock music. Which one of my friends? Oh, I know some. Everybody hit up my boy, Algia. Okay. I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a long time. He sounds excited, but he's hesitant. Al, we got to have the music conversation. We got to have the conversation about using source music. The power of audio and sound. We got to do that. Everyone hit him up, man. You get it's, A lot of you guys know him, so just hit him up and say, Rel needs you. Or just hit me up. I am rel.mov on Instagram. I am also rel.mov on TikTok. I'm on TikTok now. I'm posting on TikTok. I've been clipping a lot of elements from these podcasts. People have been loving it. I was thought to myself, why not just put it on TikTok? I'm up there now. But IG is still the best way to hit me. You could also hit up our email. It is relandfriendspodcast at gmail.com, I think. John Reyes, is that correct? Let me know. Or hit up the voicemail. I think the voicemail is the funnest way, okay? When you hit up the voicemail, I want, I want you to play some cool music in the background. Do it first thing in the morning so your voice sounds like nice and deep. Am I exposing myself? Oh, I never did that. But I am very excited to introduce my guest today, the homie brian tong we go way back i've known brian since probably like 2003 ish and then again when we started working at maybe 2006 ish we created a lot of cool content together and it's cool to see him continue doing that content brian is i guess titled content creator youtuber in today's terms but I do think those titles underestimate his talents. Brian has been a, a presenter, a host, a talent for TV for many years. His early career days, he hosted a show called Stir TV in the Bay Area. And we spoke on how he manifested his dream job, his love for tech, and his skill for being this great presenter. And he adds a lot of journalistic integrity to what he does as well, which we can't say about of a lot of YouTubers. 
So I hope you guys get a little bit of enlightenment. I hope you enjoy this interview. It's a story of triumph, perseverance, really overcoming the odds. Brian is an Asian male on camera, and he really came from a time where you did not see that a lot. So he touches on that a little bit and who his heroes were and who he looked up to. But yeah, I mean, now Brian is a hero himself, man. We're OGs in this game, and a lot of the young YouTubers salute him when they see him because he's been doing internet video before there was a YouTube, believe it or not. I know some people can't believe there was a time before a YouTube, but there was, and BT was up there doing his thing on video when people probably didn't even have the bandwidth to watch it. All right, here's my interview with Brian Tong, BT. I know they call you the Asian usher. <laughs> I need to know what is your favorite usher line? <laughs> okay. Um, I think uh, <laughs> I just want to take it nice and slow. <laughs> Hey, are we already re are we started already? Is this actually starting? Yeah, no, oh, this, this is how the show starts. Oh, oh yeah. We're off to a great start. <laughs> I just wanna take it nice and slow. Yeah, baby, tell me what you wanna do. Welcome to Real and Friends, man. This is a podcast where I hang out with my friends, colleagues, people that I just have a long time history with, people in the creative world. And man, I have so many memories of Brian Tong. <laughs> from the skits we did from man my first South by Southwest we hung out together big time Apple announcements but one of my favorite memories oh, yeah, I think. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> was and I don't think it's going to be what you think it is but it was CES oh I forget which year you were interviewing LL Cool J and I forget I think he was doing a product where you can collaborate through the internet somehow and then he's like oh if only we had a singer right now and then you started singing, and then the look on his face was just like, yo, you know what I mean? He was just so surprised. I was just like, dang, Brian, I knew you could sing, but then I was just like, he could probably make a song with LL Cool J right now. <laughs> <laughs> but that was such a cool moment, man, amongst many others. But yeah, man, we've been through a lot together. Dude, okay, since your timeout moments, this is a moment that I remember, but I actually don't remember because you always reminded me about this one. Okay, yeah, see yeah, if you know this one. So, like, <laughs> you talked about how we worked together. Our history goes actually a lot deeper than that. Yes. So, back in the day when you were running Distortion of Static, like, uh -huh. iconic in the Bay mm -hmm. Area. Got to get thank gotta you, show love you. there. There was an event because I had happened to be doing, like, this new upcoming Asian-American pop culture show. You know, we were doing promotions for it. So, we would go to, like, different venues. And, you know, there were, like, parties or, like, kind of mixers. And I guess from what you told me... <laughs> <laughs> So this, we, my, we didn't, this, we didn't, this is the other memory that I was yeah. thinking about. Well, go yeah. ahead, go ahead. But we didn't we didn't know know each other at all at that time. We didn't know know each other at all. And so basically, you had come up to the stage to introduce us, and I think I just said like, "Oh, thanks to the DJ," and just kind of like okay, yeah, poop yeah. you off, and you're like, the <laughs> yeah, fuck? Yeah. you kind of like tossed the mic back at me. <laughs> so like, I think your story is better. You tell this way better. A, <laughs> I was definitely a jerk about it, but I was honestly I was kind of just being a hater because. When you grabbed the mic and you started singing, like all the girls were screaming for you. All the girls in the venue were screaming. And I was just like, dude, I got this hip hop TV show. I'm a cool guy. Come on. And then you just you sing a few Usher lines and everyone's screaming for you. But yeah, that was when you were doing Stir TV, which was a cool Bay Area show. I want to jump into that. But before we do, 
Can you just briefly introduce yourself and what creative space you fill in the world? Oh, wow. That's just so, so cool. Okay. My name is Brian Tong, friend of REL, and I never like to call myself a YouTuber. I think classically, that's what someone would think of me as, but I cover everything in the tech space, geek culture, but really more technology when you talk about what's the, you know, the latest iPhone, Pixel phone, Samsung, tablets, TVs, headphones, Everything you can think of that's technology, but also, you know, like Marvel stuff, Disney stuff. I just play in the space that I love and that I grew up in comics and all that. I've done it for now, I think, over 15 years, which is crazy. And I've been independent for five years where I left the company that Rel and I worked together and I decided to go independent. And it was really hard, but I've now got through that, thankfully, and I'm doing it. Literally 99% of everything people see is done by me. 99.9%. Sometimes I do have some help, but otherwise I'm shooting, writing, and editing. So I'm a content creator. That's the best way I could put it. And I do some hosting as well. Yeah, 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 for sure. And it's cool to see where you're at now because it's kind of like a meshing of all your talents in one. Like when we first started at... (coughs) You were a host. You were known as a presenter and on-screen talent. And then I know you have history working at Apple and just being a fan of tech in general. So seeing all those combined to where you're at now is awesome. But I want to ask you specifically about the hosting portion. What got you into the idea of being a presenter? Like, do you have any early memories of seeing someone do it or something? And you're like, oh, I want to do that. When I was young, because let's be real, I mean, you know, there were not many Asian faces in media. So I actually kind of grew up knowing that the odds were probably pretty tough to make it in the business, but I actually didn't care. I was just like, I'm just going to figure this out. And so I remember watching news broadcasters you know, local news in the Bay Area. There was like Lloyd LaQuesta, no, Robert yeah, yeah. Honda. Like David, these are like obscure but Asian reporters in the Bay Area that I'm like, huh, this is really important just from young people and just how we see ourselves in media. I was like, if they could do it, I could do it. That's how I literally felt as a young person. So I went to school for broadcast journalism. I don't know if I necessarily knew I would be a host, but what happens is when you're in this space, when you're in media, whether you're presenting, whether you're building, whether you're making things, sometimes opportunities present themselves. Like Because I went to school for broadcast journalism, I learned how to report and be on camera. But part of it was like, ah, this is too cookie cutter. I just want to be myself. I mean, that's literally what I thought of in my head. And so there are opportunities that came up. There was this local TV show called Stir TV. One of my friends from college, I didn't even know about it. They found the audition on Craigslist and said, I think you should do this. They had nothing to do with the media. They just saw it. So I tried out for this local show. It was produced out in the Bay Area on the local TV station, but then distributed on cable through this network called International Channel, which later turned into AZN TV. But that was how I got my start in actually hosting and getting paid to host. I I think even at a younger age, I was really involved in student government. So I would run the rallies. I would do the annoying every morning (laughs) news in high school. And so things like that, I think led to it. Everything I did led to it. Singing in choir in elementary school and then doing choir groups or singing groups in high school. All these little things that I did when I was younger that I didn't realize would make a difference today, they all added up. I think like anything, right place, right time. And you always got to polish your skill set. You always got to try and get better. You always got to keep improving because if you're not ready for the moment, it's not going to happen. But if you're ready for it, you know, the stars align. I've been fortunate for it. It happened. So I can't, you know, I feel really lucky. But, 
you know, it's it's a combination of things, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That's what right. Say. That's right. So I didn't know stir was your first thing, like, because you seemed really seasoned when you're already on stir. So, <laughs> oh, man, that says well, a lot. Well, thank, you. Well, thank you, Matt. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just After doing stir, I don't know if it did it get canceled. It lasted for about, I think, two and a half or three seasons. So like okay. anything, you know, all good things come to an end. So that, that stopped there. And then we did kind of a local version just for the Bay Area where it was kind of more like a night feature show. But, you know, to your point after that, I was like, hmm, like, what am I yeah. going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what made you think of combining your love for tech and then going after the tech journalist route? You know, maybe this is part of how being, quote unquote, a creative mind thinks differently. I just knew I always wanted to be around something I loved. Money has never driven me because when you're in broadcast journalism in college, you're basically thinking, oh, I'm going to end up making like 50K a year for the rest of my life. So I was never driven by that. I was driven by like, I just want to do like stuff I really love and enjoy in this media space. And so I was always a tech fan during that stir show, that Asian American kind of pop culture show where, I mean, it was amazing. I got to go to Japan. I got to interview freaking like Jackie Chan and Jet Li. As a 22 year old kid, that's like, what the hell? Right. So when things like that happen, I think it opens your brain to like anything is possible. And I think if you stay in that space and you see those moments happen, I know you've had moments like that where you're like, I can't believe I'm doing this or I can't believe I'm here. I think that's important because that allows us to even think bigger and not think that there is a ceiling like anything is possible as long as you think it is. And if it doesn't happen, oh, well, right. But you got to be in that headspace for sure. So when you came to <laughs> I was already at probably like a year, I think, before you. And then I remember when you came on as just kind of like a trial, but there wasn't a hosting position open. Like we weren't looking for anybody at the time. Like you kind of made that happen. Can you tell that story of how you made that happen? Yeah. So I was looking for what could I do next. And while I was doing the stir show, I was working at the Apple store at retail. So I was pursuing what I loved. And then after that, I worked for a case company, like making cases for iPhones and stuff. But at the time, you know, there was no YouTube. There really was no YouTube early on. Like, <laughs> was like the tech destination. So obviously, I went there all the time. And I'm like, man, let's be real. At the time, all the hosts were white. <laughs> and I was like, it was predominantly, it was like 99%, right? And so I'm like, well, maybe I could give them something they don't have. I don't know. I, so I literally had a friend find a friend who worked at, <laughs> look into the directory find out who the head of video was and I sent a cold ass email saying like I'm Brian Tong I love tech I think I can offer something you guys don't have here's my demo reel so I had a demo reel ready and all my demo reel stuff was of every clip I had had that had to do with technology and hosting it was like a two-minute thing and so I sent it to the head of the department at the time and they brought me in just for a meeting just to talk a chat it wasn't even about we're gonna hire you I just want to like see, oh, what was I about? And after that, I don't think I heard from them for about another nine months or so. It was just completely cold. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, we want to bring you in just to try out some things. And that's how it started, right? You sometimes have to create your own doors. And how many times have you and I have heard no? A lot. Probably more times than you and I can ever count. I think you hear about this from a lot of people that end up, quote unquote, breaking through or getting to the place they want. So you can't be discouraged. You got to believe in yourself. You also got to continue to do the work and get better no matter what that means. And also it's kind of fun to keep on learning new skills and improving, but that's how it started. I basically <laughs> created the opportunity because I had the right skill set. Like if I was junk, they would not have asked me to come in, right? Right. So 
I had to at least be at a certain level like, hmm, maybe this person can offer something for us. So that's how it happened. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I remember when you started coming around and I was like, there's that guy that <laughs> called me the DJ and had all the girls screaming and he's haunting me in my workplace. <laughs> I can't escape him. <laughs> but I'll tell you right now, the minute you came to, <laughs> you shook things up. Because it was, like you said, it was very Caucasian. It was, like, white-dominated. And that's a reflection of just the tech time, space yeah, in general yeah, yeah, oh, at that totally, time. You totally, know what I mean? Totally. There's so much representation now, but yes. back then, it was none. And it was the space. authority, right? It was the only, yeah. at the time, this is before Engadget. This is before Gizmodo. Yep. This is before Verge. Yep. It, was before like you went to, it was like Yahoo and Google and... <laughs> were the tech sites you went to yep. at that time, quite honestly. Yep, 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 yep. And then you came in, very different look, very different attitude, a more youthful outlook. You were not holding back. You know what I mean? Like, you're using the terms you would use outside. Like, I always had to, like, oh, let me try not to curse in front of people and let me use my professional words. You know what I mean? Like, I was major code switching at the office. You came in authentically you. You wanted to do something on camera where you could be yourself. And you found that and you were doing that. And yes, it shook things up. And then they finally teamed us together. They yeah. made us a team. Like, they started teaming people together, you know? And then it was like, okay, you two, the coolest guys we have in the office, you guys are a team. The brownest people uh, in the office, get together, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Get together, exactly. guys. Exactly. And then we started brainstorming ideas. And essentially, we came together and like, let's make a show all about Apple, man. And, dude, started taking off. At one point, man, I think you were probably generating a majority of the money for <laughs> video, to be honest, because you know, say the nothing. streams you got, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a major success. Dude, your numbers were crazy. I wish there was analytics back then. There was, there was no YouTube, so you can't prove it, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. you were shaking it up over mm -hmm. there. All right, listen up, guys. I'm sorry to do this. I gotta take a quick break from this interview to let you guys know about something very special I have going on. About three years ago, I created this company called Art of Storytelling. And basically what we do is we sell cassette tapes of Slick Rick's The Art of Storytelling. Just kidding. So I run a full service production company. We do everything from ideation, pre-production, production, post-production, post very much geared around solving problems through storytelling. So the next time you're in a brainstorm meeting with your boss and he says we need to create a video to create impact or to make a splash for some sort of initiative send them my way i promise you'll be the hero you'll be the office hero once they get that beautifully shot vertical video that everyone watches on their phones hit me up rel.mov on ig chances are i have a video that you need already let's talk it through all right back to the program so let me go into a segment here that I call For the Love of Bunny. Got to get that money, exactly. man, that money, man. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> that's exact, that, That's the song that plays when oh, I hear yeah. this segment. Sorry. It's so perfect. This is a segment where I hope to build some sort of transparency in the creative space because people don't ever talk about money, so they yep. don't know what they can make. But I know there was a time where you were getting paid well. You were the talent. All the talent got paid well. It was well-deserved. You honestly probably... Should have got paid more, but <laughs> but it's also something that wasn't given to you. It was something you still had to fight for. I remember you had to push to get 
paid. And I wasn't one of the highest paid there, but every week me and you were proving ourselves. You know, we were, we were <laughs> every showing week. <laughs> every week. We were like, look, another successful show. What gave you the confidence to storm in that office and be like, look, I need to get compensated this because I deserve it. You know, like I wasn't doing that. I was still at a place where like, I'm lucky to be here. Mm -hmm, I have a good mm -hmm, job. Mm -hmm, it's a reliable mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I remember you were very adamant, like, no, I need to get paid more. You know what I mean? Like what gave you that idea? I think one of the hardest things as a young person to do is be able to talk to managers and superiors without feeling like there will be retribution, right? Because when you're younger, let's be real, you think these managers know more than you. You think your bosses are actually in a way smarter than you. And then the longer you're around them, you're like, holy shit, they don't know shit. So there's a point in time where A, that knowledge becomes part of what you know. But the biggest thing, and I think it's important for young people and any people at any level, quite honestly, young or old, is A, you have to have the data or at least some sort of number to back up why you're going to A, ask for more money. So if you say, we have the top, three performing franchises and they double or triple every other video that is published here, that's a pretty strong argument to be like, this is what we're contributing to the company, right? So when you have a position of data points that you can pull on, that helps your case. But what also helps your case is once I found out that you and I were producing high quality content for them, I found out what my peers were making because when I was first hired, I think I came in at like 70 Mm -hmm. And I was there for That's at crazy. least four or five years at that amount. Without getting any significant yeah. bump, right? Yeah. Just your little 1% yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 And so I can say that, you know, I'm not like revealing anything big like that. But here's the thing. You got to find out what your peers are making. Yeah. And yep. that can be hard. It's And it's not, you don't ask your coworker, hey, how much do you make? No, you got to come up with other ways or someone you trust, like an ally that knows these things and will tell you these things because they feel that you're worth more as well, right? Everything is about relationships and trust. And so someone told me how much some of the other talent made. I'm like, what the? F I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what? Yeah. And yes. so because I knew that, then it enabled me to come into the table and start saying, like, you can't deny this. And so that's how I approached it. And, you know, there's a point where, like, I remember even talking to, higher ups, you have this like uncomfortable, warm feeling. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, It's a little bit of nerves. It's a little bit intimidation. It's a little bit of like, should I be doing this? Am I going to lose my job because I'm pushing this hard? The answer is you probably won't. But once you get past that feeling and it takes a couple of times, it's like anything. It's like practice. It's like repetition. Then those nerves go away and you can start asking for things. But again, I only ask for things when there's actual points for me to prove. Like, there's jobs that we've had that the results of what you do can't really be quantified. So that can be harder to lobby for yourself. But I think what's important is if that's the case, find out what your peers are making at a similar level. And if you're at that level, then okay, you don't have as much bargaining. But if you're not at that level, and we know how women in general are paid lower in the workplace, find out that number and then at least know your value and what you're contributing and document a lot of things of what you've done, document successes so that you can bring that to the table. Like this is what I contributed to. Don't just work and think they're going to see it. Cause I tell you 100%, even for people like you and I, the stuff that we are putting out, unless you talk about it a little bit here and there or bring it up to them, those managers, those higher ups, they just got their heads down, like looking at the numbers in general, the big numbers, how are we doing? They're not looking at what you're contributing to those numbers. So 
there's a lot of things that I said in there, but distilled down is have data points and know your worth. And really the hardest part is to find out how much other people around you get paid in your position. Yeah, man. Because they tell you to not talk about it in the workspace. And they purposely tell you like, this is a secret. It might even tell you like you're making more than others when you're not, you know what I mean? But they do that on purpose so that they can play with the budgets and take advantage of people where they can. So like I would encourage peers to just be transparent, man, and start talking about because you don't know what you're worth. And these companies have money to spend, man. If you deserve it, like you better be getting compensated correctly. But yeah, thank you for sharing that, man. How long were you at... (laughs) Let me think. 2008. I was actually there for like 10 years, I think. 10 years. I eventually transferred to New York and then we split up. We had our breakup on video. We have a video. Dude, it was emotional. It was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dude, I actually remember. <laughs> like the thing is that you're so talented and I'm so happy to see you doing things bigger and better beyond. Like, you know, if you look at it, I don't regret anything, but you and I probably should have left a lot earlier, quite honestly. Yeah. 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 What prompted the exit? Ooh, the exit. <laughs> I think, you know, there's amazing people that still work there today that I am friends with. And there's people there that don't know what the hell they're doing. And so, look, when you're someone that's plugged into the culture of what people care about that you're covering, you have a different outlook, you have a different perspective, and you know what the audience wants. When you're being told by someone, we need to look at Google Analytics of the top technology headlines and then do that, it's already too late. The news and the action has already happened when it's like, let's look at data. The data is already old. You got to know this stuff. People in media, there's instinctual stuff. There's things you feel. There's things you know because you're plugged in. Data is important, but data can't drive when you're in a content creation business. You've got to know already before the data hits what is going to hit and what's going to land. There are plenty of times where I would push to do a video People would be like, no, don't do it. This is not going to succeed. We don't want you to do it. The reality is I don't know if really it's going to hit, but my gut tells me it's going to hit. And then when it hits, I can be like, great decision, right? Like these are people who would say, oh, you know, once I left in, was it 2018? We're going to really put attention on YouTube now. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. That's exactly what happened. So I'm just saying... It had nothing to do about me being better than anyone. For the longest time, I'm like, let's spin off. Let's do a YouTube channel the way that YouTube is presented. People build a relationship with a person and then they enjoy what you do. And we had already kind of found that, but they thought I wanted to just peace out. So, you know, it's two conflicting ideologies. And there's a point where my contract was up and it was like time for both of us to part ways. And it was scary. Don't get me wrong. It was not easy. But now looking back, I didn't know what type of audience I'd have leaving, but damn, it's the best decision I ever made. And if I have to go back and work for a company, I have no shame in that. Like there's no shame in doing anything. We're all trying to do our best, but I'm going to ride this out as long as I possibly can and enjoy the fact that whether it works out or not, there's times where I make the right decisions. There's times where I make the wrong decisions, but it's on me and it's not on someone else who doesn't even care about this stuff the same way. So that's the, like, I, you know me, like, I'm a passionate person about stuff and probably I'm not really made for the corporate workspace, right? But when we work in a company, we do have to operate within those parameters, but also it's important to stay true to yourself. And the more true you are to yourself, people will actually see that, acknowledge it, respect it. And then it it tends to open up more opportunities and more doors. 
Yeah, yeah. So what got you into the professional hosting space was just wanting to be on camera doing something that you love and being authentically you, which ultimately was the reason why you got out of it. Because you still wanted to be authentic. You still wanted to do your thing. And you had these restrictions. I think it's like more money, more problems, right? The Mm -hmm. bigger you get, the more restrictions you're going to have. Like more eyeballs on you. So you got to watch what you say. Mm -hmm. But now we got this platform, YouTube, where you can do whatever you want. You could speak directly to your audience. And then you jumped right into that. (laughs) What were your thoughts like the first week or two post leaving the nine to five? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like were your thoughts immediately let me start the YouTube channel or what was going on in your head? Well, I mean, I was scared without a doubt. Again, there's a difference when you know you already have an audience, but when you don't know how much of that audience actually cares about the work you do, you kind of have to just let whoever decides, decide. It was hard. I mean, I put out a video like at least letting people know that I was leaving because, you know, when you put in 10 years for a company and give them your heart and soul, you at least expect them to let you have not a ceremonious exit, but a civil exit where you can be like, hey, I'm moving on. But it was like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I see how yeah, it is, yeah. right? When you really understand how corporations operate and all that emotional time you put in, you're just like, okay, here we go. But I knew how hard it would be because I used to shoot and edit before I even went to school for broadcast journalism. I knew how to shoot and edit. So I was like, okay, I do have the skill set here. But let's say I always respected the YouTube creator audience community. Once I did it for myself, damn, that respect went up like 10 times because it's when you shoot, write, and edit everything. Now, not everyone does. You know, some people built up to build a team. I'm still doing it on my own. That's a different ball game. I mean, it's <laughs> it's another level. So I don't know. I was scared, but I was like, I'm going to put my head down. I gave myself a three-year runway. I didn't have savings to give myself a three-year runway. I just said, I'm going to give myself three years to figure this out. And in about two and a half years, I started making money where I'm like, oh, I can actually pay my bills and maybe start doing this for a living. And that was the turning point. Up to that point, I was like, a little bit of savings, just keep an even float. I made sure my commitment was like, there was a weird pride thing. I was like, don't have anyone pay your bills and just make this work for yourself. Like, just try really hard. And, you know, I was scraping a lot of things together and just making it work. But that's what it takes. Like, if you love something, you're going to do that. And you hope that it works out. I'm Don't get me wrong. I feel very fortunate and blessed that it has worked out because it's not easy. It just yeah, isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right before we started rolling here, you told me you have two spaces now. You have your hosting room and then your demo room. And then you have your equipment, you shoot, you edit. Did you have any of that gear like coming out of your other situation going in here? Or is it no. like So this is how the universe works really interestingly. So I had a buddy of mine's name's Jay Julio and I was coming to <laughs> offices in LA for a while as I was kind of transitioning down here. And he happened to sit right next to me. And we had worked on projects before, but he actually helped me at least get like a floodlight. He helped me get a little monitor and they're like, okay, just get that generic setup to start. Just start putting out a video that looks decent enough. Like I'm not a snob about video quality. I know what looks good and what doesn't. I just needed someone that knew enough about equipment. And he happened to be sitting right next to me (laughs) um, before I left. And we had always gotten along really well. So, you know, he really helped me get off my feet and be like, okay, you now have this set up, you'll be good. And I'm like, okay. And so that was a huge, I mean, without a doubt, he was instrumental in at least getting me off my feet to feel like, okay, yeah, I guess I could do this. But yeah, I had nothing. I didn't have a DSLR camera. I didn't have a tripod. I didn't have a mic. I didn't have a light. I had none of that. And the crazy thing is now these days, I'm being real, like iPhone video quality, as long as you have a good audio source and an iPhone, for reals, 
you can do this. You can yeah. absolutely do this, whatever yeah, yeah. your content space is. I've worked in plenty of shots on iPhone into like some big budget projects mm -hmm. that and they had no idea. You exactly. Know I mean? <laughs> so exactly. it looked just as good. It blended right in. So when you started the channel, how long did it take till it became something sustainable? Okay, let me think about this. So I knew I had something there and of course the growth slows down and the algorithms are totally different. But I think in the first six months, I got 100,000 subscribers. I mean, that's not common. That's also built on the history that I had doing content and people kind of started finding me. I have people still now, I'm, I've been doing this five years on my own now, that are like, I finally found you again. I'm like, what? Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. But once I hit that 100, there's something psychological, even though you can't make a living off of 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, you literally can't. But then I'm like, okay, just put your head down. Just keep going, just keep going. Um, From a sponsorship standpoint, I did start getting some small sponsorships around that time once I hit that 100,000 subscriber point. You know, it was like a VPN or something like that. But what I learned very early on is if I didn't know the product, if I didn't trust the company, I didn't take sponsors. Even if I really needed money that, that first two years, I said, I need to stay true. I can't look like a sellout. I got to just grind it out. I've got to go through this process where I can potentially start getting sponsorship deals that are products that I might already even actually use. That's when it's awesome. When it's something that you actually use and care about. I really just try to be like, don't take it unless the product is really good or it's a product that you already use. And so I've turned down lots of things. I remember turning down very early on, damn, it's like a five or seven and a half K deal. And I wasn't making beans. And I was like, this is junk. And I just didn't do it. Oh, wow. And yeah, you got to maintain that integrity, man. You know, and people don't know this. I don't talk about it. I talk about it to you, but that's a significant deal to just say, no, I don't need it. I don't want it. But I'm like, this is not going to look good. So I just said no. And I'm like, <laughs> I was like, you idiot. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, imagine if you did that fake review and you had to say nice things and you stayed away from the bad things. The audience now more than ever is going to catch on to that. Yep. You know, they're, they're going to know what's authentic and what's not. And authenticity is what really like builds your fan base now. And it's the reason for like all the success that you've had to this day. And I remember all the press events we used to go to, I remember when these young tech journalists started coming up. Like, I remember seeing early, like, Marquise Brownlee, like, MKBHD, and, like, when the Unbox Therapy dude started coming around. And I remember we were really threatened by them. The, well, not us, but, like, the entities were really, like, the they knew companies. they were next. Yep. Now, when you're going to these press events and you see the same guys, do they salute the God? Do they know that you're one of the <laughs> early guys before there was a YouTube doing this? <laughs> I would say I'm definitely the OG I didn't know how accepted I'd be by the community, quite honestly, because look, they've been doing it from day one. And I was like this person who came from a corporation that came to do what they did. But there was instant respect. Once I became an independent creator, when I started getting invited to these events, they were like, welcome. You know, they're like, it's a family. You know, in media, there's a lot of competition. I mean, MKBHD, you know, he'll jump on my channel once a year. We drew like a video together. And he's like, you know, I haven't watched many people more on YouTube than you. And I was like, damn, because he's in current culture. He's the GOAT, right? And he's a humble dude. I'm happy that he is kind of the, I guess you would say like the face of the tech content creator, but he's a good dude that isn't a cocky D-bag. He's not. And because that changes things. When that alpha or who's perceived as like the top in a space, 
is kind of douchey, it actually trickles down to the other creators of like, oh, I've got to be like this to get to that place, right? Um, there's something about that. And so for him to be as grounded and as normal as he is, I appreciate that. But it's fun. I mean, it reminds me about this. Let's put it in this other terms. So like in the NBA, you've got all these people making crazy young money, but then the legends are like, I was there before this was like yeah. this, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. For right? sure, so for sure. I'm a little bit of that, you know, when people are like, you're an OG, you're a legend. And I'm just like, oh, I guess that is kind of crazy. So, but it's cool to be part of this story of the tech space. And it's quite honestly helped me in, with relationships with getting access to products because I have that long storied history. And the fact that I'm actually independent now has helped me because back in the day, we had editors covering specific categories and they wouldn't let you or I go to represent us to cover this. There was internal competition, which yes. I always thought was so dumb. And yes. this is like one person gets access, but that means the rest of the company can't have access. It's weird. It was, I, I totally didn't get weird. it. It was, yeah, yeah, it's based on like old news reporting where you have a beat yeah. and no one touches your beat. There's also just like a lot of insecurity um, in those walls. And so now it's like, damn, <laughs> it can't be better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, dude. Right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. now, like everyone can have access if you just work for it, you know. Yeah. So that's an old fashioned kind of thing, and come from a traditional news background, and I never enjoyed that. Yeah. So I have this segment called Scope Creeps. Yes. A scope creep is a term that creative professionals use to describe when a client's expectations or deliverables increase over time without any conversation about money or time compensation. You're in a different situation, but I interviewed actually Jamie last week. Yeah. Uh, and her scope creep, we started talking about revisions, and we both agreed that Applebyte, we would end up in like the 20 revisions sometimes. Maybe five, maybe five, maybe five, oh, yeah. which is already a lot, but definitely felt like 20. But felt uh, like 20. So, so let me ask you, now that you're editing all your own stuff, to be fair, like the revisions were always warranted. Like I never disagreed, and we were both trying to make the best product. But now that time is of the essence, like yeah. how many revisions are you going through per show? I probably do maybe two tops. All right, I'll do the main edit. Then I'll look over once and I'll tweak it. And then I'll maybe tweak it one more time. But here's the thing. The biggest edits that happened with us were when it was skits. Skits yes. were like awesome, but they were also the bane of our existence. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah, yeah. back then we actually had a deadline because we were working nine to five. Here, I'm working... 7 to 3 a.m. It don't matter. There is yeah, no, yeah, right? Yeah. As a content creator, it's unhealthy, but it's exciting and fun, but it's unhealthy. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's about two revisions, but skits are complex. Yeah, there are a lot. Our deadline was the end of day, and it didn't help that at the time I was coming into work at like noon, like <laughs> kind of <laughs> hungover. Yeah, I ain't gonna say nothing. I, I love you, man. I ain't gonna say nothing. I ain't saying nothing. Uh, but man, we did our thing, man. We really did our thing. Dude, I need to tell people this, because... People that know you have seen an evolution of who Rel is. But, you know, mm -hmm. back in the day when we would do these skits, Rel would kind of like, all right, like, right, I guess I'll guess I'll do this. Like, <laughs> yeah. He was really too cool for this shit. Yeah. But then he started kind of like <laughs> buying into this like corny ass yeah. stuff. He yeah, started doing yeah. like, hey, I'd be like, Rel, like, turn your head and stare at the camera and do a corny <laughs> expression. And we do the dramatic push zoom in. I'm like dying because I'm like, here's this dude that I've known for the longest time. But you really caught the bug and like, okay, this is mm -hmm. kind of fun. And I loved it because it was so, I'm not saying at this, we all evolved, but at the time it was kind of like very anti-rel. 
Like, yeah, I'm sure really was. your friends I, I, who watched might have been surprised. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like your your buddies were like, what? Yeah, oh, they loved it. No, they loved it, man. Like, yeah, we had our little bromance skits and like, <laughs> just like we made music videos. Yep. It was fun, man. Like, it it made what could have been a stale environment just enjoyable. And we were working twice as hard as everyone else, yep. but I think we were also having twice as much fun. Oh, you know what I'm saying? It. The reality is that I think there was definitely a certain part of the company that was, yeah, I would use the word jealous that we were having so much fun. Like, yeah. what are these guys just? making all this stuff, but then the results spoke for themselves. So it's like, they totally. could be mad about it. Like these guys are just goofing around, but there were results that were tied to that. Like it, yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. culture that you have to kind of build within what you make. That's the thing I miss the most. People always write in my comments, like when are the skits coming out? I'm like, dude, I'm one <laughs> guy. Like, yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> that I'm just grinding. If I get to that point, they will come back. I, I, come really, back. I really try and do a music video once a year, but that's a big mm -hmm. effort. But it, it takes me back to like, what would Brian do in high school if he could? That's how I think about mm -hmm. this stuff. Mm -hmm. That's so, cool. So it keeps that energy in there. But yeah, dude, yeah, there's some funny stuff, dope. man. There's, dude, <laughs> <laughs> like I had you wearing wigs and shit. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I put that wig on, I just became a whole different person. I remember I, I became creeper. this like weird it? creeper. <laughs> yeah, this like trailer trash creeper guy telling y'all but I, I yeah it, it became me it was weird <laughs> yeah. all right so just to end it the last part of the show i'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions first question major versus independent like if someone's asking you which route do i take now what do you say take the route that makes sense to you right now and follow your instincts and gut whatever that is good answer man what does the next five years look like to you <laughs> I haven't thought about that because I feel like I'm just like treading water moving, all the right? time. Yeah, just yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah. Next five years is hopefully I bring on someone on board in the next year to help me. I'm at a point financially where I can actually hire someone that can work with me and in the same city, which I think is important, at least for what I do from that access. And that I think will then open up new opportunities for different types of content, even better content, because I can now focus on a little bit more of the creative while still editing half the time. I mean, I'm going to still edit, but my hope is that Hiring a new person will give me more sanity for my personal life, but also elevate what's possible and what I can do. For sure, for sure. If you could say anything to the young you, what would it be? Man, do exactly what you did. I, I kid you not. Like, I think I've learned so many things. Maybe I would have said leave <laughs> like three or four years earlier. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. other than that, like, again, I don't regret it because I did learn a lot. There's tools that are added to your toolkit every year. I think young Brian just be like, buckle up, enjoy the ride and just do you and, you know, it all work out. And if it doesn't, you'll still be fine. There was something you told me. We didn't touch into it, but you lived in Atlanta for a little bit when you were pursuing more broadcast stuff with CNN, right? You were mm -hmm, mm -hmm. intern at CNN. We were talking about that story and I was like, man, what made you want to go to Atlanta? And, and you said, you know, the way I approach things is like, I just jump in head first you know if it's a little bit scary like mm -hmm. that just means just jump in head first and then like that's when something changes for you that's when you like you really figure things out on your own you know what i mean and i kind of took that like really that was kind of like one of the quotes i thought of when i was deciding to move to new york too man like it's like dude you got to be scared you got to be scared mm -hmm. to grow you know mm -hmm. so like mm -hmm. i took that with me okay ai do you fear it or do you use it i actually don't use it i don't fear it but you know i've been thinking about this 
I'm thinking of putting some sort of like funny seal in the beginning of my videos, like 100% made by a human, because I think we're going to get to a point where AI is going to blur a lot of lines from creative content standpoint. It already is. We've already seen it. So I'm not scared about it, but I think there's something about handcrafted stuff that is going to always be important, especially in video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And AI still has that AI look. Like yeah. You could tell it's AI. So yeah, like, yeah. but it's going to get smarter and, and better. So we'll see. <laughs> and I like to end the show with a segment called Drop a Gem on Them. Once again, once again, once again, once again, once again. Brian Tong, if you could drop any kind of gem on the listeners out there, what would it be? Ignore the noise, believe in yourself, always learn and get better, and fucking run with it. Yeah, man. That's <laughs> like, amazing. Oh, that's like, great. <laughs> you know, I appreciate our friendship has lasted for, damn, I guess almost a little under two decades now. If I, if I started, yeah. yeah, like a long yeah. time. And so, you know, not only am I thankful to be on here, like I'm so proud of you, dude. Like right I, I know Likewise. that eventually we're going to end up, we almost did. We almost yeah, did yeah, working yeah. on a project together, but mm-hmm. it, it kind of be a fun full circle moment when we can do a project together, both independent and be like, yeah. damn, like, yep, look, yep. mama, I made it. Like yeah, that's that's how it's like, no, you know, I have no doubt it's going to happen, man. We're going to do something cool when the time is right. And we're both going to get a fat check from it. <laughs> it's going to come, man. <laughs> yeah, man. But I appreciate you. You know, we've been friends for a long, long time. And I'm just proud to see your growth and just what you've done. And, you know, New York, East Coast, it's your home now. Man. Yeah. You've made a great life out there. So congrats to you, bro. Yeah. Thank you. And likewise, I'm very proud of what you've uh, created. Because <laughs> it was tough, man. It was tough. <laughs> it was tough. All right. On that note, peace. And that's it. That's my interview with Brian Tong. Make sure you check him out on all social media platforms. It's just Brian Tong everywhere. Uh, What I really enjoyed about this conversation, it was inspiring. It was cool to witness Brian's journey and to be a part of it. And if you remember on episode one with Tomas, he mentions how sometimes you got to go through those hardships to really see and manifest your higher self. And Brian did that. It was that passion for tech that made him jump out there and create the job that he wanted. It was also the thing that pushed him to rejection, to have to leave the place that he really gained growth and and an identity. But look where he's at now. He has full ownership of what he's doing. He's built his own audience. He has a dedicated fan base and he's part of a YouTuber community and I couldn't be happier for him. And I gotta say also, man, like what we built together back then, it's some of the work that I'm I'm most proud of because I was able to get out of my comfort zone. Like not everything's about hip hop, you know? So thank you, Brian, for taking me on that journey as well and sharing that journey with me. And like I said, a collab is coming in the near future. I could feel it. And for the Rel and Friends podcast, I just want to wish everyone a happy holiday. We will be on next week. It's going to be me and super producer John Reyes. Uh, we're going to just do a quick recap. Even though we've only been on for a couple of months, I think it's a good time to just reflect on some highlights and then also look into the future of what's to come. It's been a great response so far. So uh, I appreciate everyone's willingness to share and just motivation because I've got a new fire because of this. I hope you guys have a good holiday and I'll see you in 2024. Peace.